Do you know what I just realised in that in that little telling off that you gave me in the in the kitchen just now? <laughs> Maybe want to explain what I told no, you off about. I will, but I yeah. just realised you're Batman and I'm the Joker. <laughs> you think you're better than me, but you're one bad day from being me. Like that's it. Like that's all it is. You think you're better, but you're not. You're just as dark as I am. You just don't do it out loud. That's probably true. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't, you're not better than me. I, I didn't say I'm better than you. He's, he gave me this long-winded story about some other podcaster who talks like they're 15 and that they're rude and they're crass and that it turns... No, it wasn't. It was somebody it who was off. a guest on Brett Goldstein's podcast and he was a little bit blue, let's put it that way. And he's, so he's like saying to me, and you know, I've just sort of figured out that, that it, it turns me off and I, I think it turns people off. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? And he's like, I'm not trying to say anything. <laughs> Let's try not to talk like that. And all I'd said was, oh, I won't say it because we're not doing that yeah, on the well, that podcast was, that would be the point. No, but like, I think but that you're, if you're going to make, if you're going to make sex jokes, at least have them be like clever and, you know, funny as opposed oh, to. Oh, so now I'm not clever. No, I didn't say that. I so was, you... t- I'm, I'm still talking about this fellow. Okay. You um, have to preface. Yes. No, but it was, it was, a, it was a little bit, it was a little bit teenagery. Yeah. All right. I understand a bit juvenile. That. So I've taken the, I've taken the insult. I mean the, uh, the feedback. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> would you like me to start the cold open, which is not nearly as interesting as this argument. Okay, please no. do. Go ahead. Johnny, you want to hear the most boring question that I've ever asked you and I'm going to ask you, but it was the only thing I could come up with, but I think you'll make it interesting. Corduroy. If you could go... <laughs> That could actually, that could actually be an answer to this question. <laughs> okay. So you're not as far off as you think. If you could go back in time and change something, what would it be? And sub question: If you could change something in a movie, like you could go back in time and you could change one movie. Oh god, I'm gonna start fucking talking about No Time be? to Die again, aren't I? Oh fuck, I didn't even think about that. I was like thinking he's gonna go back and he's gonna right the wrongs of Star Wars or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. No, but that's a valid answer. Okay, so first I, I wanna one. I wanna get I wanna get real with you for a second. All right. Um because later on in this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about the Scream, the new Scream movie. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, I remember I was talking to my wife last night, and I remembered something that you never talk about. Are you guys still talk to each other? Yeah, we do. It's impressive <laughs> it's funny to me. That, yeah, it's great. Josh won't talk to me anymore unless it's something to do with her. <laughs> yeah, we've been together for like nine years now, and uh, yeah, conversation still, still yeah. flowing. So we've been together for ten years. And that's, yeah. uh, conversation. Is that what I just said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, meant to. Go on. Okay. Um, so uh, it's something that you never talk about because you always bring up the clown story. Okay. But you never bring up the fact that I went to Watford Market and bought myself a, a ghost face costume and that I hid in the closet and jumped out at you I, when I was like I 15. talk about it a lot. I just thought that when bringing it up on the podcast, the, the clown mask. Yeah. So like I thought... You felt really bad about that. And after listening to that episode back and hearing how horrified you were with yourself, I was like, I'm not going to bring that up. Okay, so you brought it so, up now. Okay, so, so there's a lot of things in life that um, that I, I say to myself, I don't want to change that. That built me up as a person that, that contributed to who I am today. Um, and I'm very happy with who I am today. I'm very happy with my life. Um, but those are a couple of things that I would definitely want to go back and change. I would want to meet my former self, give myself a slap around the face and say, Oi, stop being such a dick to your brother. Uh, so I wouldn't change that though. I know that sounds weird, but I wouldn't change that because no, I the, think that it's the... definitely informative of, of how much, like, first of all, how much I like horror movies as well. Yeah. But like, I think it would be nice if I were to stop saying the word like. I figured out that I need to stop saying, you know. I say that a lot on the you podcast, do. and you now do. this is some feedback, and I'm now gonna people are gonna, you. you know, point it out. You mm. know, 
I need to stop saying basically. It's going to well. drive. Sorry, and listeners. This is going to ruin this podcast for you. For like the eight <laughs> listeners no, that like, we have. Let's do a feedback <laughs> session live. Item one. So, <laughs> okay. So, where were we? No, wait. Stop. Don't go off the rails because this okay. is important. Okay. Right. Right. So what he did was he got the what you so you you got the costume you got it at Watford Market right right I don't know how and long I waited you also I you also bought a retractable knife blade oh yes I did uh, which scared the crap out of me because I didn't know I didn't know that that existed I don't think um, right and so you know but here's the worst thing about what you did because you did no but there's a revenge story here as well is that you, you so you put um you put the costume in my wardrobe at one point. Um, and just left the bottom tassel bits oh hanging out <laughs> and you were somewhere else in the house and I was supposed to be going to sleep and I was literally just crying because I thought you were in there and you were going to oh come god, out. Oh my god, I was such a fuckhead. Hang on a minute, hang on. So what I did was I went into your room because I got home before you one day. I went into your room, I took the costume and I put it on and I waited for you in the toilet and you came home and I jumped out at you from the from the toilet and scared the shit out of you. Do you remember that? No, but I do remember that... Um, our sister, the younger mm. of the two. Um, so I hid in the shower and I was trying to scare her and she knew I was there and she went, I can see you. <laughs> and then later on that night, I went into the bathroom and she jumped out and grabbed me by the shoulders <laughs> and made me jump six feet in the air. So as you're right, you little yeah. shit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, but I'm saying I wouldn't change that sort of thing because I think that it's, we started off as very sort of antagonistic and there was a lot of like, masks and windows that got broken and all <laughs> right. sorts of accidents yeah. and horrible things. But then we started going to the coffee shop together and sort of, I started drawing and you started We, we were definitely were friends before that, but we no, had like but... these intervals of, uh, I mean, look, I can sum it up in, in looking at, at my kids that uh, they absolutely love each other one second and then the next second he's like grabbing her head yeah. and I'm going, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then he's, and then he carries on doing it, and then he giggles, and then she starts crying, and then she starts giggling. It's a, yeah, it's it's completely like, you know, it's like a roller coaster up down. No, but up, I know a lot of siblings who aren't as close as we are right now. Right. So I think that I do think that there's there's definitely a lot of advantages. But I, I to, used to you know edit those movies for you, and you know, we were talking about you know. Oh, the the Back to the Future and the, the one v- with the, the Golden Eye. No. Oh, oh, not yeah. the ones that we made. The ones that the, you would the ones edit that down I would edit so down that so that you could watch them. They yeah. would make no sense. Yeah. That's not a boring question. What are you talking about? Uh, well, no, because it's like you know, oh, if you could have any superhero power, what would it be? Like a lot of people. I think. Sort of I think say there's no. Boring, there are no boring questions. Only boring, only boring answers. answers. Yeah. That was a boring answer. <laughs> So if you could change something in a movie, what would it be? I won't ask you because it's no time to die or you're going to, you've got something else. You've thought of something else. You've had time. No, no, I haven't had time. I, I think there are a huge amount of things that I would change in, in a lot of different movies and no time to die. I, well, I mean, we had a three hour double episode. on Is that, there so. something in the movie industry you would go back and change? Like, for example, like a director, like a, a um, who was it in the third uh, Alien Richard movie? Donner. Richard would have Donner. been completely Richard Donner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would go back and uh, try and prevent the whole Superman two debacle from happening. Because, mm. because uh, when I see what it could have been, yeah, versus uh, what, it what it turned out to be. I mean, I used to love Superman two when I was a kid, but um, that would probably be. It. I'd probably uh, write the. I would bring justice for Superman two that could have been. That is an interesting and okay answer. And I'm ready to roll the intro, Bartholomew! What's our seat number? 
Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the podcast that makes welcome use of the trusty question mark. Hey, 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 listen to this. Ready? I brought burgundy. I'm Simon Gross. You can call me Cy. I make games and 3D models. Plus, I used to do VFX when I still had a fringe and when I could still go potty without a toddler asking me what I'm doing, what time it is, or if they can have a sodding biscuit. With me is Johnny Gross, a filmmaker, film watcher, nudie picture ogler, and the human answer to the facepalm emoji. Thank you for that wonderful intro. You're welcome. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about The Time Machine from the year 2002, starring Guy Pearce, Samantha Mumba, and Jeremy Irons, and uh, Mark Addy. Uh, why'd you say it like that well, because he's, he's he's in a bit part it's uh he's not in it very much but anyway he's he's great i love mark addy especially in a knight's tale which is something that we should talk about at some point that, yes because apparently it is not very well liked and i don't understand why, why? because it's a delightful it's movie um anyway oh. sorry i digress uh the film is uh well the time machine is directed by simon wells Mm-hmm. A little bit of trivia there. He is actually the great grandson of author H.G. Wells, who wrote the original novel on which the movie is based. Um, so we will be talking about that. I also just want to thank everybody uh, in the audience for choosing us because, uh, you know, everyone and their mum's got a podcast nowadays. Like who? Podcasters. And? Podcasters' mums. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, We will also be uh, talking about the latest Scream movie at the end of the podcast. There will be spoilers. So uh, uh, once you get to the end and we say, hi, this is the bonus part where we were going to be talking about the new Scream movie, you can just turn it off. Or if you've seen the movie, don't and listen to what we have to say about it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's only if you haven't seen the movie. Don't yeah, turn yeah. off the podcast if you haven't seen Don't do that. Don't, no, why would you no, want to do that? What, you you, do what that? are you crazy? I don't yeah. know. So uh, this week's movie news, we're not doing that. Why not? Because there's not any movie news. I have some. It's a bit rubbish. Oh, you've got movie news? Well, I mean, I have I have something that is tangentially connected to Are you encroaching news. on my segment? Well, I wanted to add... Do you know what it is? It's bits of tid. Size tidbits. Okay, so this actually is a piece of news that comes from uh, my good friend No Pogo, who is a streamer. He's a... Uh, programmer game developer he's working on a game um and it's uh just check him out no pogo underscore tv uh if you if you go to twitch you can find him uh but he's he told me about this and this made me laugh so you know how the new dune movie came out right is it dune or june dune or dune dune june June. (laughs) so so basically this is the story um and it, it comes from a tweet from gary brannan i have genuinely spent 10 minutes staring at this but no, it really does appear to be true that a bunch of crypto bros just spent 2.6 million euros, 100 times the asking price for a book at auction in the mistaken belief that they would therefore own the copyright to it. So the book was Dune, and they've here's the original tweet. We won the auction for 2.66 million euros. Now our mission is to make the book public to the extent permitted by law, produce an original animated limited series inspired by the book and sell it to a streaming service, support derivative projects from the community. Now, this just made me laugh because that, it's like... That they, I have the rights to several books. <laughs> right, I was like, they bought the book at auction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought it was funny. It's not really movie news, but it's tangentially, as I said, connected yes, to movies. It's, 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 it's a good one. It's a good one. I like. I it like made that. me laugh, and I thought I'd bring it up on the podcast. Anyway, so we're not doing movie news. What, what, what are the names of do? these guys? Harry Dunn and uh, Lloyd Christmas? <laughs> I'm 
Might as well be. <laughs> oh well. my! Just to be clear, Gary Brannan is not the guy who did this. Like he—he's—he was just no, the guy I, who yeah, retweeted, retweeted it. Yeah, I got that. I got just that. to be clear. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, so yeah, that's me. Off you go. Okay. There's no movie news. So what do we have in place? Hello, Sydney. Who's there? You should never say who's there. Don't you watch scary movies? It's a death wish. What do you want? I want to play a game. It's called Crazy Casting with K's. Scream Edition. So this week, uh, we are going to do the Scream Edition. (laughs) What? Nothing. Go on. We are going to do the Scream Edition of Crazy Casting with K's because at the end of the episode, we will be talking about the latest Scream movie. So uh, these are some crazy castings for uh, for the original Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason being because I couldn't find any for the time machine. So <laughs> there you go. Very good. Okay, here is your first crazy casting. Right. And uh, for anybody who's uh, who's new and uh, doesn't know what this is, Sai has to guess the actor that was almost cast in the role uh, that I'm going to mention. So the, your first uh, question is this. This John Hughes star was offered the role of Sydney, but turned it down due to having 27 candles already and didn't want to play a teenager anymore. Who is it? You'd have to have seen 27 candles. Well, no, the movie no. is called 16 candles, 16 candles? but it's a, it's a hint. Johnny, I don't know. You don't I know? I haven't seen I also, John Hughes, and No, you don't know who wrong, Molly wrong Ringwald person. is? Uh, I know the name. Okay. Uh, that All right. that well, one is, is probably lost on me. I'm okay. Okay. Well, that's an eh Okay. <laughs> Technically, it shouldn't be an eh It should be a... I, well, I was trying to pick the ones that I thought you might have a chance at knowing, so... How? What is wrong with you today? What? No, because... <laughs> what do you mean, what is wrong with me today? No, because I there are... I thought that you might have a chance at getting. No, but there are certain people that, uh, that the name you would probably never have heard of, and you would say to me, I've never heard of that person. And like I'm... in this case, Molly Ringwald. Indeed, and I was trying to think of the ones that you had heard of. What's Right, what's well, the, the problem with is with you then. <laughs> Not being able to guess what I know and <clears throat> don't know. Oh, wait, no, I ruined it. <laughs> Just... So, so dumb. Okay, your second one. This actor turned down the role of Billy Loomis. That's a thumbs down for this movie, but his career wasn't affected as he made his name playing a country superstar, a disturbed party performer, and a writer in love with Siri. Uh, I'll say it again. One more time. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I know who it is. thumbs down, Mm -hmm. uh, a disturbed party performer... Another name for that Joaquin could be... Phoenix? There you go! Very good. Well done. Can I have a ding, ding, ding? Yeah, I'm going to give you a ding, All ding, right. ding. You, I probably you, got it already, You, didn't you I? got it already, but like, I mean, this is, you know, in the future you're getting it. Ah, great. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> Number three. Jinkies. This actor originally went up for the role of Stu, but his Mystery Machine cohort got the role instead. And no, I'm not talking about the dog. I mean the other one. Freddie Prince Jr.? Correct! Hey! Well done! <laughs> hey! I'm very happy you got that. Um, this actress was a victim of intended cruelty and is legally allowed to have blonde hair, but did you know that she turned down the Reese lead role of Sydney? Very good, well done. Correct! Let me finish the question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, how rude! That's, That's Blockbusters! Please let me finish the question. You're like a <laughs> bad-tempered <laughs> English teacher. I'm a bad-tempered Bob Holness. <laughs> uh, 
And your final question. This actor was up for the role of Randy, but instead played a son with a complicated relationship to his evil medical practitioner father. I know who it is. The name's gone. Hang on. He was in Buffy. I know who... um... Uh, Seth Green. Correct! Hey! Hey, you got your 4 out of 5. That's excellent. Oh, thank you for and the grade, prize is... Don't touch me. There's no prize. <laughs> that was a really good crazy cut. No, just because, because, because I got, got them right. More, yeah, because you got them right. <laughs> no, but also, though, it, it was like that that curve that I feel that I can sort of... You know when, when you get Wordle right and you feel like it was it was... You know, you you Are got you also it. doing that. Everyone's doing <laughs> Everyone's it. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> it's it's a pandemic in and of itself. Like when you don't get them, so you just don't tell anyone that you did it that day, <laughs> and yeah. then you <laughs> you get really annoyed. You're like, it was super unfair. Oh. It was really difficult. And then when you get it in like three or something, you're like, it was really good today. It was. Really- <laughs> so there you go. My first three, I got three out of three. And then since then, the last few days have been absolutely I've abysmal. Suspiciously, <laughs> that you're you're not posting on Facebook every day anymore. Right, indeed. <laughs> okay, so that was crazy casting with K's, and that was the Scream edition. Once again, I will remind you to check out our Scream discussion later on in the podcast. And now I'm going to move on straight to a time machine related game, which is the tagline game. This is the one that you dislike because there's no way there's to know. There's no way to know. There's well, no I mean, way to know. use logic and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, What's you try and. What's the problem today? <laughs> What's the matter with you? What's, you? What's the matter with me? You You're try... having such a go at me today. I'm not. You try and figure out what could possibly be the closest to it. Go on. All right. <clears throat> but you choose ones that could be really, really close. So it's like, unless well, I, mean, I know I, that it's the tagline just, for another If movie. I just said to you, check out the time machine this summer, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's it. That's the tagline game. No, so um, the tagline game is when I give Sai three taglines and he has to work out which is the correct tagline to the movie in question. In this case, the time machine 2002. So your first tagline is the greatest adventure through time. Mm-hmm. That could be any time machine time travel movie. Go on. Correct. Number two. The ultimate weapon. The ultimate hero. The adventure begins one step back in time. Okay. And the third one is you will orbit into the fantastic future. One of those three. Would you like me to give them to you again? One more time very quickly. The greatest adventure through time Mm -hmm. it's in capital letters so you have to emphasize it Mm -hmm. the ultimate weapon the ultimate hero the adventure begins one step back in time Mm -hmm. that's a new girl reference by the way the adventure begins you will orbit into the fantastic future I think it's um... Ah, it really doesn't matter it's the first one correct really ding 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 You're only going to enjoy the game if you get it right. This is what I'm realizing. Have you never played games with me before? Uh, oh, we did. We we used to play the Dick Tracy board game, mm-hmm. the Star Trek board I, game. I don't like to lose. Ghost Castle. Do you remember Ghost Castle? Wow. That's, yeah, that's I remember Ghost so Castle. Yeah. 80s. My goodness. So that was the tagline game. You want to hear what they were? The Time Machine 2002, The Greatest Adventure Through Time. 
The ultimate weapon, the ultimate hero, the adventure begins one step back in time was Biggles, which you still haven't seen, but whatever. Mm -hmm. That's also a time travel movie. Uh, We should watch that at some point because that is a movie that you haven't seen that I have that is uh, critically derided and is absolute shite, but is absolute fun. Mm. Um, And uh, I'm interested to see how you react to it. Okay. Um, So we'll do that at some point. And you will orbit into the fantastic future is the time machine 1960. Oh. See, I was going to choose either the first one or the third one. Well, there you go. You have a you have a, a sense of it. No, I shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. Yeah. Just well, it just it didn't dark. make sense to me that weapon because he's like it's not a. Well, I mean, he does kind of use it as a weapon. In the, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, go. Yeah. Okay. Context. Yes. There we go. Context. Let's have a let's have a little chat about context. Right. Where did you? Uh, uh, no. Well, I'll just repeat that. Well, no. I, with words. Preferably. With words. Yes. Let's start again. Um, so let's talk about your context for this movie. What do you remember about seeing this movie uh, when you were younger? So for me, it was um, you. So I don't know. If, well, I mean, they're not going to arrest you for for this uh, all these years down the line. But uh, you burned it onto a, a, a CD for me. And I watched it uh, over and over again on my ibum. Your ibum. Mm-hmm. Yep. My I, ha- ha- I had a hoop. A hoop, you had a hoop. I had a hoop. <laughs> Should we maybe <laughs> say what that is? A, I had an HP and you had an IBM. IBM, yeah. What's, what's the matter with everyone? The matter? I don't know, nothing. What's the matter with you? Fuck. Go on. Um, yeah, so you, you burned it for me on, and, and I... I used to watch it. Me. I used to watch it with friends. I used to watch it by myself. I really liked it because you gave me like a respectable collection of movies, like CDs and stuff. There's a few of them that, that I. I just like uh, your dealer. You were. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we. So I, I watched it. I I remember um, not understanding the conversation at the end with right. the Uber Morlock because I think that the uh, at the age of what, what was I. When I watched it for the first time, or was I like twelve, something? Maybe was it like around like maybe two thousand four, two thousand three? Yeah, yeah. Because like I, we, I didn't watch it when it came out. Like it was, uh, you know, later. Um, and uh, you know, it it was a bit sort of. Uh, I, I want to say I wasn't smart enough to understand it. Um, but anyway, it, it and and as I watched it more and more, I started understanding it a bit more. I was like, okay, that's really cool. Um, I haven't watched it actually since then, I don't think. Really? Yeah, I haven't watched it recently, but I remember it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have a fondness for it. I think I think it's... This is something that um, actually Nopogo was, was saying to me the other day, was he was saying, um, you know, that he has, like, movie suggestions for mm-hmm. the podcast. Right. But he's not sure that they're right for us because we're sort of peddling nostalgia comment on the page so let us know i told him to anyway but like i i think um i think it's like really true that a lot of the movies that we watch have have some kind of root in our brain i don't know if this is a good movie or not i don't know if it was critically acclaimed or panned or you know whatever it, wasn't. But like, it was pretty it was pretty widely panned and i and i'm not quite sure why maybe we'll see today uh, maybe i i also haven't seen it in quite a while but i i, I did watch it a lot back then Mm-hmm. Um, and I had it on DVD. Uh, now I've bought the Blu-ray. It's only just been released on Blu-ray. What took you so long, Paramount? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think actually Paramount just recently acquired all of DreamWorks catalogs. So um, they've started releasing uh, things like The Saint and um, uh, What Lies Beneath. Like the, there are lots of uh, oh Eurotrip as well. 
Like a bunch of things that uh, that just haven't ever been released you're on Blu-ray. Yeah, you're a trip. It's just a dumb movie. <laughs> this is a, where I parked my car. Anyway, yeah. DeGraw. Yeah, so I, I remember watching it and, uh, and, and really loving it. I, I had seen the 1960 version several times on TV. Mm. Um, I liked the, the flashy pyrotechnics of the, um, of the 2002 version. I like Guy Pearce. I remember watching uh, Memento and, uh, and LA Confidential and just being like, this guy is brilliant. Um, and I also like the the sort of it, it, this movie was kind of meta before meta was a thing, like the sort of self referential kind of you know the uh, um, the Orlando Jones plays this hologram called Vox yeah. mm-hmm. um, in the future, uh, and he's uh, he's sort of like the the public library Librarian, hologram yeah. kind of thing, um, and uh, and Alexander played by Guy Pierce goes and asks about time travel. And uh, and Vox lists off a whole load of time travel related media, yeah. including the time machine. And it's just it's just very interesting that uh, they go for, they go into the future and they show like moon uh, the moon being colonized and the moon breaking up and all sorts of things uh, you know that are relevant to two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. Um, that, may, that obviously H.G. Wells wouldn't have known about back in 1895 when he wrote the original novel. So it's very interesting to see how they managed to take that and expand on it. And also the thought of that. and also the love story as well is is something that's uh, that's added in uh, to give the movie emotional stakes that uh, that there, it wasn't present in the original movie and wasn't present in the original book. Um, and uh, and I just found it really interesting. And I think that it's. It's a forgotten uh, gem, to my mind. I think it's a really great movie that was completely and utterly disregarded on release. Um, I also think that uh, people um, didn't appreciate the fact that H.G. Wells' great-grandson directed it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that until you told me last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you know that he was also oh, yeah. a, a director of animation? He, he, directed, he co-directed uh, Prince of Egypt. And Balto and Fievel Goes West, he directed. Wow, my and mind is exploding. <laughs> also, he also, th- this is going to make you, um, you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, Johnny? Say something crass. Fuck. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> this is going to make you very excited indeed. Go on. Um, he got his start working under Richard Williams as supervising animator on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Really? Yes. Really? Callbacks to previous episodes. That just gives me, like, I don't know why, but why did, I don't understand that. Like, why that changes your perspective on something. Like, I don't, it doesn't really make a difference to my life, but it makes a difference to me now watching this movie today. Like, I know that he's, you know, come from there and he's worked on, that makes it even, I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking at the movie and being like, is there an animator's eye on some of this stuff? Well, yeah, like, like if you like... were watching um, uh, some of Brad Bird's live action exactly. uh, stuff. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Do you want to go watch the movie? I do. Okay, roll the movie. Let's talk about it. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on, you first. How do you feel about that? I think it's very hard to watch films when Shosh is in the room. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> um, a lot is nonsense to her. 
I, I'm trying to figure out what exactly was the was the issue because um, I think I, we should ask her to come in and tell us what her problem is. But she's too sick to <laughs> no, get off the yes. couch. Um, no, she asked me why don't the inhabitants of the year eight hundred thousand, whatever it is, um, remember any of the past. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, if eight hundred thousand years go by and the world suffers a catastrophe like the moon breaking up. Um, and there's an apocalypse and, you know, all literature and historical record and all that kind of stuff is lost to the ether, then why in the hell would people remember She's saying that there are lapses in in plot coherency because uh, I think it's like, why is it that the Morlocks know, but the, you know... they the the Eloy don't know right the ones above don't I know, think that but the, the ones below that the Uber Morlock knows because he's been reading Hartigan's mind not because he knows mm, no because Alexander doesn't know um you know like any of the stuff to do with you know after the moon broke up maybe the Uber Morlock has been around for eight hundred thousand years like that's the difference but mm-hmm. like but the Eloy are are human like regular you know human people mm-hmm. from what i understand with no superpowers with no superpowers um, i i i have i have some things with the with the plot the the bother me like not uh, not to the point where i don't like the movie i, I still like the movie and and it's interesting because i haven't seen it for a long time so it's interesting to right. sort of see like you know how i think about it now versus back then um but like there are some things that sort of bug me i feel like it it dips in the middle there like it kind of it gets when a little when he arrives, when he arrives in, the, in, the in the future, yeah, it dips a little bit uh, until they start chasing them. Yeah, like the Morlocks come out and start chasing them, but they do have to establish, you know, the current climate. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, do you want to start from you? You said you don't have too many notes. I don't have too many notes. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Let's just you know what it is. That's just uh, too let's many. Let's run notes. through. Let's run through them like we do sometimes. Okay. So the beginning of the movie, the music is epic. So I that's what I wrote. Klaus so Bedelt's score. Tick. Tick. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Klaus Bedelt, if you uh, if you if you don't know, um, was responsible for the score of the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. He worked for the Hans Zimmer company, uh, which is why it sounds very Hans Zimmer-ish. It's a lovely score. Yeah. Uh, it gets stuck in your head. Um, it's really interesting. It gets stuck in my head so much that all these years later, if you were to have asked me before we watched the movie yeah. to hum the opening theme, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But it was as soon as that first note played, I was transported back to my Ibum. Right? Ibum, yes. And, um, and I was like thinking... We used know, to watch it quite a lot, though. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> the The two lines that you and I quote non-stop from this movie just for some reason oh, i can't take it i i know it's right emma oh brilliant <laughs> yeah um so here, so when you know emma gets killed at the beginning his girlfriend gets killed um do you want, do you want just very quickly it's a film about a man in the what year did you say it was 1895 i, I would say okay no so the the book by hg uh, wells was uh, published in in the movie they say 1894 wikipedia says 1895 okay. i don't know who to believe to be honest um <laughs> might have been right on the cusp on the cusp it. it could have been mm. december 31st ni- 1894 exactly. 1984 um yeah so um what what were we what were we talking about? So I was just gonna say that when was the I was just gonna say. All right, so begin- so it's set in eighteen ninety nine, I believe, because then it says four years later. Yeah. 
uh, after Emma's death, um, when he actually invents the time machine. Yeah. And then when uh, when he visits the hologram Vox in the uh, New York Public Library in the future, 2030. in 2030, um, it's, uh, he says Alexander Hardigan, um, born in, I can't remember when, but like died in like 1903. 1903 so it's four years later. So, and it right. would make sense that it would be 1899 because... Uh, the, uh, he um, he stops outside Central Park and there's a guy driving around in a in a car, yeah. which is something that's new and he's interested and he's like, oh, I, I'd I'd really like to stand up on a car. So you know, it's it's basically this movie about this professor um, of physics, yes, and you know, quantum whatnots. Um, Sol, yeah, leap. <laughs> yes. He he, uh, yeah, he's about to propose to his girlfriend. Uh, he proposes to her. They get mugged in the park, and she gets killed by the robber. And he creates a time machine to go back and try and prevent her death, finding that he can't do it, right? Uh, because it would create a paradox. Um, so but he doesn't he, know that he doesn't the, know that until yeah. the end of the movie, right? Um, so the the and that was by the way something that was hard for me to wrap my head around when I was younger. That's that that was the thing was that he says right. you know you you invented the time machine because of Emma's death, right? Uh, and you are the inescapable result of your tragedies right well, that's the thing it's like it's very um it's very simplistic and i think that's what a lot of people had issues with uh was that they added that element of uh of emma which mm-hmm. wasn't there in the original novel and um and that's what the entire thing hinges on and it's and it is quite simplistic and very easy to understand but anyway. but it's it's um i think that it, it was great that they added it just because it was so um it's it's got more it's more got of an emotional, emotional payoff, weight, yeah. yeah. More of an emotional payoff, yeah. Um, I, I think that um, I think that maybe a lot of people find that the H.G. Wells novel is a lot more philosophically deep. Mm. I guess. Anyway, go on. Yeah, no. So I just wanted to give like some context as to you know what what Emma or is it's when she right. gets shot. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kind of think that his character arc and transformation is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he starts off very sort of very Wet. very nerdy. Yeah. Very um, you know, like, oh oh what what is this contraption? Oh, you know. Yes. Um, and uh, and I kind of like that he goes to just sort of like you know, we have to. We have to fight even when we're scared sort of thing is, is really cool. And he becomes sort of very, very heroic just because he, he sort of comes from this time and he's seen all of these things. But he's seen it sped up. He's watched it on fast forward. Right. But he's seen a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just really cool that he sort of comes to this realization that he can so I'm trying to know, think now, having, the future. Right. I'm trying to think, having just watched that, um, where is his character arc? Because... If you think about it, he's... you mean where does the change happen? No, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think where he where he begins and where he ends up. Obviously, there's the aesthetic change, which is that he's less nerdy and he becomes more action hero, stubble, a little bit Indiana Jonesy, and instead of being kind of wet behind the ears and whatever, he becomes more sort of active. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got he's got agency. Uh, whereas he, but at the beginning, he also has agency because he invents the time machine in order it's to a different fight kind something. Of agency, though. He right. spends he spends most of the movie being very tortured by this thing. He's haunted right. by her death, and it's sort of like watching him go through the grieving process and right. gaining acceptance through the fact that you know he sorts of, he sort of sees you know it, it's what he says to to Kalen the the kid when he's saying to him, you know, we sometimes have to fight even when we're afraid. He's right. saying, we have to accept what's happening to us, even if we don't want to. And there's a moment there where he kind of goes, I know, like, believe me, I know. And I think that that's, that's basically where he ends up is this more peaceful, um, 
less selfish place, and it's that's uh-huh. where he kind of starts making more selfish. Well, he says, like decisions. he says, we sometimes we need to accept, and sometimes we need to fight. Um, yeah. And he's kind of fighting the entire way through the movie because he doesn't want to accept the fact that Emma's dead. But he's he's saying he's. I think he's like. He's trying to make the distinction between accepting the things. It's that it's that mantra, right? Oh, bloody hell! <laughs> Just punch the pop filter. Yeah. Um, he, it's that mantra of you know, give me the strength to accept the things that I right. can't change, and to change, get the strength to change the things that I can, or whatever. Right. I'm not, okay. you know, whatever. But I, I, th- I think that's kind of where where it's at, like right. where where he is at the end of the film. Um, and and you know that he 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 made he does have the strength to to make that change and to destroy his time machine and his ability to go back to the past, right. which I guess he doesn't want to do anyway because what is there for him there anyway? But he sort of he question? sort of yeah he sort of creates a new life for himself yeah. and uh, um, yeah. Well, actually, he sort of mooches off the life of these other people, <laughs> right. assuming making a very grand assumption that they want him to stay. So around the halfway mark, there's a very stark change in aesthetic and narrative um when alexander accidentally goes too far into the future and he ends up in the world of the eloi um who are living above ground and they're living uh they're sort of they sleep on the sides of cliffs in these sort of boat-like contraptions that hang off the side um and uh and that in that way they're safe from the uh from the morlocks who are the sort of night to their day they're the underground dwelling yeah um sort of evolved monkey-like yeah hairy who who, versions who use the eloi for food yeah like they they uh, they survive by eating them and coming up above ground and eating them it's kind of like the movie split in two like that yeah um which uh which i find interesting and it does dip in the middle there like you know it's uh, as you said they have to establish like what the status quo yeah. is now there's a, there's a few quiet moments there i don't mind quiet moments it's no. just it's just listen their language their made-up language is a little bit naff Right. Okay, it's, so you know. there's there's a trivia corner uh, piece here, but okay. uh, John we'll go, Logan. We'll go there soon. Don't, we'll, don't, we'll, we'll go there soon. I, I will I will uh, grab this little tidbit out of trivia corner. Mm. Just to uh, <laughs> that was me grabbing it out of I trivia corner. It was. It was yeah. great. Um, John Logan is responsible for the language. John Logan, the screenwriter, um, actually made up the language. So it's not obviously it's not like you know a linguist came up with it or you know J.R. Tolkien invented. Well, that's it. the problem. Is yeah. That when someone so starts, got that, you know, just going a blibly blibly blibly. You know, just like yeah. It sounds. It also sounds like you know the people who are saying it aren't saying it with an accent. You know, at least like okay. So this this was this is what I said to you in the middle that eight thousand years and the Irish accent has survived. I just didn't remember it being so Pocahontas like when I was watching. Yes, I was thinking Pocahontas. Yeah. Like, I remember but that's we where the white Avatar. savior thing comes from we were watching Avatar and we were going oh it's Pocahontas in space you know and it's like it's... Well, it's Anthony Hopkins oh it's Pocahontas oh, in space <laughs> yes um, damn your eyes man just to go a little bit yeah. backwards mm-hmm. um, is that you know how we talk about sometimes how I notice things about films that I'd never realised before right yeah I never realised that I, I knew that Emma had gotten run over by horses in the second time when he tries to go save her but I didn't realise that it was the guy with the car, yes. leaving the car off the brakes. Like, he says at the beginning, ah, I'm the... always leaving the brakes ah. off. And what he does is he, you see him in the background trying to fix the car. Right. So it had gotten stuck like it does at the beginning when, when Alexander first meets him. So Alexander, like, pulls the brake yeah. to stop it from rolling. Yeah. Exactly. And then in um, the second part, when he comes back again, this so that's thing, obviously what happened. It, it yeah. flies away from the guy and it scares some horses 
And, uh, and you know, that's what runs her over. I just never clocked that they had set that up right. with that, that little thing about the brakes. I just thought that was a little, you know, it was cool. Yeah, that's nice. What's very interesting is that I noticed uh, a lot of detail yeah. yeah, that I knew was there before. I knew that there was a lot, a lot of thought that was put into this. But um, uh, I mean, there there are a lot of things wrong with the movie, and we'll get into it. Um, and this is one of those situations where it's like, I love the movie, warts and all, but there are things there are wrong problems, with it. Yeah. Um, but, Welcome uh, to my Van Helsing corner. Would you like to sit down? <laughs> indeed, <laughs> there's a lot of detail in there that's very rewarding. That uh, when you notice it. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of things that are sort of peppered w- into the original narrative of the novel that couldn't have been there in 1895. Yeah, uh, which 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 I mentioned before in the uh, in the pre bit um, that I just thought was uh, I, I just think that's great. You know that uh, that whole idea of him him coming into 2030 New York um, and chatting to this girl who yeah. talks like a modern woman uh, and he's I, looking at her like. All right. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, and you know, swiping the card as well, and uh, in order to uh, to release the, uh, the bike, the bike from the from the from the bike park thing, the bike, how, the, how the cycle rack, the cycle rack. Um, how did they know? How did they know? Yeah, and uh, you know, and the colonizing of the moon and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that um, that all of these sort of like future futuristic visualizations, a la Back to the Future Part Two, I find that very very interesting and. and Chucking that into a vintage story like that, I, I really got a kick out of it. Back Josh in two thousand two, did not get a kick out of that. She was like mumbling at me that she's uh, she's like saying they're just making up futures, and I'm like, yes, because yes, we don't know what, what the they, future that's is. That's what they do. Uh, anyway, um, I think that uh, um, Samantha Mumba is seriously miscast, um, and it probably should have been given to an actress because she wasn't. I mean, she she apparently her film career like completely stalled because of the failure of this movie, um, and she was in a few like Irish movies after that, a few small Irish yeah. movies. Um, but I think she was a singer first of all, wasn't she? Why are you asking me? Aren't you supposed to know? I all think the she was no, stuff? no, because I, I didn't actually do any research on Samantha Mumma. This is from memory, but I think she was a singer, um, and sometimes that works. You know, uh, because I'm not sure that she was trained as an actress. I'm not sure that she had the talent as an actress necessarily. But like, say, somebody like Billy Piper. Or Lady Gaga. Or Lady Gaga. Or Madame Gaga. Madame Gaga. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. In this case, I don't think it did. And I'm not sure that it's the movie that's necessarily the problem. Right. I really like the dark tone of the latter half and the, you know, like, just how sort of very... Like it's the, kind the, of the, violent. It's like there's very, the bones, the bones, and, the and that sort of stuff. It's very sort of uh, very creepy. I um, think this was a PG. It is a PG. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I heard Josh saying it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's it's quite a hard PG for 2002, considering you know that the by yeah. that point they they were making PGs to be PGs. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know sort of towards the like at the beginning of the 80s and 90s pgs were a little bit harder uh, yeah i like the the darkness of the latter half of the movie there's a there's a planet of the apes vibe um which is there in the 60s version as well but in the 60s version it just feels kind of cheap tv sort of land of the giants time tunnel 60s. kind of thing yeah 60s but you know there are there are 60s movies that had production value and there are 60s movies that um, that felt 
like they were they were using TV sets. Yeah. And the uh, you saw the the design of the Morlocks from the sixties. Yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, the design of the Morlocks in this is not much. Better. We will we'll get into that as well. That's also another thing for trivia corner. Um, but the design of the Morlocks is a big problem for me. Um, I appreciate the fact that they did them practically. Uh, practically I do. Um, where they where they could yeah where they could but there is um there was a discrepancy uh with between Stan Winston and uh and the filmmakers and I'll get into that in a okay minute. um so should we visit uh, trivia corner yes let's visit trivia corner here we go trivia, trivia corner. corner Gore Verbinski who directed the first three pirates movies The Ring Remake and mm-hmm. Mouse Hunt uh, Mouse Hunt was the only one he directed by this point anyway uh, yeah. he took over the last 18 days of principal photography after Simon Wells began suffering from extreme exhaustion Ooh. so Wells returned for post-production I don't know exactly what point in principal photography he actually took over I was trying to find information on that and I couldn't um, the pool of bones looks yeah. very Vavinsky-ish Vavinsky? Vavinsky. ish Guy Pearce did most of his own stunts and occasionally got frustrated when he wasn't allowed to do a few. Oh. <laughs> and this next bit of trivia relates directly to the previous bit of trivia. Guy Pearce broke a rib during the filming when he tackled <laughs> the Morlock from the side. <laughs> I love how you set those two up. Um, the initial designs for the Morlocks, the Stan Winston studio team were more faithful to the original book's description as brutish ape-like creatures with claws of moles. But director Simon Wells and the producers wanted changes made to accommodate the human performer and made them more humanoid, which angered the original artists. Ultimately, the Stan Winston studio team were not pleased with the look of the final Morlocks, and neither was I. Um, or, or the decision I. to film them in broad daylight as opposed to night when they're supposed to be shown. Yeah, it really makes no sense that there's that whole daytime kidnapping sequence when right. they're supposed it to be, be nighttime. Night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's another thing with, that happened with the Dream Factory. Yeah, uh, which uh, which is a short movie that I made with my wife and cited the uh, special effects on was that we had a prosthetic for a cute creature. Yeah, and our cinematographer decided. That and, and I told the cinematographer that the because the, the makeup artist wasn't a hundred percent experienced in uh, special effects makeup and mm-hmm. she had said she was so um so she finished with him in the uh in the makeup room brought him out to the set put him in front of the camera and I'm sitting there at the monitor and I'm going this looks bad yeah and everything stopped. And my wife and I were conferring and the makeup artist came out and said, it looks fine. What are you talking about? And then uh, the assistant, uh, the assistant director came out and she said, what's going on? Why aren't you shooting? And I said, well, because it doesn't look good. And she said, well, we've got to shoot. We don't have time. We don't have time. That's her, uh, you know, that was her job was to make us, uh, was to make us move along. Um, But uh, it just, it didn't look good. Um, so I asked the cinematographer to uh, to shoot him in shadow as much as possible, and he didn't. And you can see it in the final thing that it looks like shit. Yeah. So I also I also remember spending because you'd said to me like, how possible is it to sort of you know smooth that over with um you know with VFX? Um, yeah, no, that and, was the uh, mentor that asked us to do that. I knew from the get go it wasn't going to look good. So I mean, listen, I I think that maybe now with some of the knowledge that I have and also the tools that you know sort of with after you have in After Effects now, like Mocha right. has a lot better like facial tracking and and also the ability to warp certain 
you know, textures onto right. onto facial movement. I think that that would have been, you know, quite good. But, you know, it, it was for my skill set back then. Uh, it just... Uh, well, it wasn't, wasn't just there. that. I think it was it was also the technology that I had seen in feature films up until that point. Um, there was a movie called The Hole directed by Joe Dante. Yeah. And one of the child actors, I think, had some acne or something. And they'd, uh, they tried to smooth it out. And you could see it. It was so obvious and it drove me insane. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened with uh, with Johnny Depp in, uh, in Sweeney Todd that they tried to smooth out his pores or something like yeah. that. Um, and it just looked bad. And it's just, I, I knew that if in feature films of the day, they weren't able to do that, then we were not going to be able to do it in After Effects yeah. in, uh, in 2015. Listen, at the end of the day, it just came down to a lot of like frame by frame hand fixing right. that was just it wasn't worth the amount of time because i had other effects shots to work on right um, um so what i'm saying is that uh is that obviously stan winston and his team believed that uh, shooting them in in shadow at night would have been a lot more frightening and a lot more believable looking yeah. um and i do like the uh, the fact that as i said i do like the fact that they're practical but um but you you can see the cracks and you can see way too much of them and they just don't look yeah. they don't move very well they don't uh, you know the, the their faces don't articulate very right well. exactly like you know if you one of the things that I, I wrote down for VFX attic is the uh, you know the they articulate much more when they're in CG than they do when they're in in their sort of prosthetic makeup right. um, and that's like you have to either be consistent with that sort of thing and make them not be able to move their eyes as much as they you know do in CG and you have to match it but they didn't. Right. Um, so the next bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. So here's a here's a little interview snippet um, that I got from the Los Angeles Times. I think from the time actually from uh, 2001 2002, where uh, Guy Pearce um, mentions that the studio or the creative team or somebody uh, had said to him that the time machine is the star of the movie. To which Guy Pearce replied, "Or well, maybe the time machine can do the interviews then." Um, which I think is a great response. Very good response. Also, who um, said that to him? I have it's no idea. Tact. I hope it wasn't Simon Wells. Anyway, there were some real surprises uh, when Pierce saw the finished finish film. Uh, the opening sequence in which the dean of Columbia University finds Hartigan conducting experiments with his students outdoors was removed. Mm. That's a deleted scene. And at the end of the film, Pierce was surprised to see his character holding hands with the female lead, Samantha Mumba. He said, it's not my hand. It's not her hand. It wasn't how I saw the character. Now that's an insert shot, and it's mm-hmm. very close up of their two hands, and it's obviously been uh, sort of in. tacked in there. Um, but I can understand why he would feel that way. I can too. I think that the the romantic relationship is so not necessarily, and it's not really. Im- it's not implied. It's not implied. No. no. It's just something that uh, that they kind of chucked in there, and I think possibly because of, I mean maybe test screenings, focus groups. I don't know, but. Um, Anyway. Studio uh, interference. Yeah. This was originally scheduled for release in December 2001. It was bumped to March 2002 because of a scene involving a meteor shower crippling New York. Mm. The filmmakers were concerned that the scene would stir memories of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Um, A lot of films uh, were edited, retouched. uh, The teaser trailer to Spider-Man, I don't know if you remember. I do. um, With the the, um, Spider-Man trapping a helicopter Helicopter. in a web in between the World Trade Center, um, which was shot just for the teaser trailer. It wasn't supposed to be in the movie at all, and it wasn't. Um, But but they pulled that immediately. Book versus film. Mm -hmm. 
some differences between the book and the movie include Alexander is never given a name in the book. The narrator only calls him the, the time traveler. traveler. Oh, yeah. The time traveler. Uh, the time machine is built purely for scientific. <laughs> What's wrong with Scientific. That? No, leave it in. The time machine is built purely for scientific. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> All right, then. The time machine was built purely for scientific exploration in the book and not to change the past like in the movie. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Yeah. Are you good? You got it? Can you do this? I think so, yeah. Okay. I really don't know. All right, let's go. Okay. The time traveler escapes the Morlocks by way of the time machine and returns to his own time in the book before going on another time journey to an unknown period after which he does not return. And we also talked about this in the pre-bit. Uh, Vox and Hardigan talk about time travel. H.G. Wells is mentioned in the book. The movie's based on. Um, which I think is rad. Great. I like that. I actually, what I thought about um, while watching uh, those parts of the movie was that the exchanges between Hardigan and Vox are my favorite part mm. my favorite parts of the movie I always get really engrossed in that it's really interesting you, you um, really want there to be more I really want there to be more um, and I also thought it was a bit strange that uh, that Vox talks about Hartigan um, without knowing without knowing is. without making the uh, the connection that mm. that is the same dude um, anyway that's it for Trivia Corner can I try for a no prize before we move on okay go ahead my no prize here is that He's a he's an AI Vox, right? And so you know his his whole thing where he goes because one cannot travel into the past, right? To him, it's absolutely impossible that this could be the same person, right? Because it doesn't compute that someone can time travel, right? To this to this AI. However, eight hundred thousand years later, after having spent a lot of time with an Eloy, he doesn't say his name though. He doesn't. Call he doesn't. He doesn't again. say his name, but he does say, "I also remember you." time travel and he has that knowing look on his face because he knows that it's there's no way other than time yeah. travel that he can still be him at that age and be there 800,000 so years go. later he's evolved too he's evolved yeah isn't that really I, cool I, it's really cool and a no prize for me right oh right. I don't get a prize because no you no don't prize. get a prize <sighs> you don't get a prize for any of the other games we play either so um, there you go winning is the prize winning is the participation participation is its own reward <laughs> right anyway yeah so uh, <clears throat> trivia corner trivia corner that was very good well done very lots good. of research i'm very i'm very proud very Thank impressed you. okay um would you like to uh go up the oh my god would you fix this bloody banister no if you don't like the banister you're not gonna like what we find on the floor in there is ectoplasmic residue <laughs> <laughs> the real thing oh very good, very good. <clears throat> shall i do the jingle oh please do Join me in the VFX attic. Where else can you see VFX in an attic other than VFX attic? Huh. It's a little bit different. Just a bit. It's like when you see a new title sequence for Doctor Who, right? And they think that they're being so flash and swish with it, (laughs) but you're going, I like the other one better. Yeah. Do you want me to do it properly? No, no, that that was great. <laughs> I'd stick with that. All right, then. Wait, better than the original? No. No. Okay. But different. Just different. Just different. Kind it of really a, is like a Doctor of, Who opening sequence. Kind of like then. Peter Capaldi's uh, clock thing that they, <laughs> like, nicked, that they nicked from some yeah, guy some who... Some guy off the some, internet yeah, who, who did, did it better. Effects, yeah. 
Oh dear. Anyway, what um, have you got for me in VFX Well, there's a lot of um, use of CG in the film. Um, we've already talked about the sort of transition of the Morlocks, uh, you know, from being practical effects to CGI effects. Um, there's a couple more shots like that, um, mostly at the end where, and this was one of the things that I had a problem with the, not with the effects, but just with the, the logic of the film, which mm-hmm. we didn't talk about this before is like, Shosh said this, and this is uh, something I agree well, with. Well, that he reversed the polarity of the neutral. Yeah. Film. Like she said, like, how did he know that his machine can do that? She said, since when does it have this power? And it's really interesting because if they would have set some sort of thing up of like, you know, him stopping the cogs from getting stuck at some point during the moon explosion. Like, just something something to show that this is dangerous or this could right. destroy the machine. Like, But uh, I have a couple of problems with that. We'll go well, to you the... Wanted, we'll, you wanted we'll, some kind of exposition about not crossing the streams or something. Yeah, like, I, I think that if you're going to do something like that, you kind of have to... Like, there's foreshadowing of the thing where, you know, with the with the car and the, and the right. horses. So, you know, foreshadowing's not a bad thing, even if you're doing reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. Right. But um, I mean, the the yeah. the logic is there that he's basically um, reversing the the energy, like what when the um, yeah the, go for a no prize. What it, what is happening at the end there? Because I don't understand how he's blowing up the underground base and it stops very conveniently right there at the opening. Like the the light that's coming out is not destroying everything there. It's just okay, destroying so the that part stuff, of it. So that part it. of it is a hole. That's a good question, actually. Thank you. <laughs> no, but everything. No, that... but go for the no. No, prize. but no, but the idea is that he's that he's aging everything yeah. uh, instantly. Yeah, and that's what that that white light does, mm-hmm. and he's reversing it in order to like uh, sort of make it happen to the. To I everything guess there else. is kind of an expositional thing. Like we see the the picture of Emma yeah, get like exactly. destroyed. And, we and see the, his we fingernails see, we see the grow. Uber Morlock. Did you notice that when he's holding yeah, yeah. the thing, his fingernails yeah, grow? That's really cool. Yeah. Um, the, the Uber Morlock dying. Dying. Yeah. But also it, an effect I've got. He's basically down. accelerating time yeah. and everything that touches that white light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the uh, that the fact that it's underground means that everything below ground uh has that has that effect on it and everything yeah. above ground is protected okay um that's the idea of it i mean i i did say that there is a there is a certain amount of oversimplification oversimplification of the scientificness of the liquid you're trying flick. to set me off again I don't I, i'm just trying to say words <laughs> just trying to get to the end of the podcast <laughs> the end of the sentence god damn it <laughs> Um, this isn't happening. <laughs> oh, but it is. Oh, but we got another segment to do when we're done with the time machine. So um, I won't. I won't get stuck on it then. But just to say that 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 sort of confused me. But there's a there's a shot there um, where you know we see practical stuntmen. Uh, you know, in the prosthetic uh, you stuntman. Know, suits, stuntmen uh, walking through the tunnels, and then you know the light goes through, and you know there's a bright flash, and uh, you know it sort of covers up the transition between uh, real and digital as they sort of crumble into bones. Uh, you know, it's a lockdown shot. It's very, you know, it is what it is. So there's there's a few shots like that where you, you know, had they... a big problem with the uh, there's a blue screen shot. Uh, in 2030 the steps up to the library yeah, up to the library yeah um, uh, yeah I've written it down yeah janky <laughs> janky blue screen steps I'm sorry I don't take notes when was the clearly. last time do you have any idea when the last time they used a blue screen was because everything changed to green at a certain point oh, man I wish I knew the answer to that question but it was just very jarring it was there were several things wrong with it it was the fact that 
you could see the outline, you could yeah. see the blue. You, you could, could see, see there was a blue screen. Yeah. I didn't know that in, uh, because I saw behind the scenes footage or anything. I knew that because of the... Because we were looking because at Because there's it. a halo. That wasn't in behind the scenes footage that I saw either. Um, right. They only talk about the shots that they think are successful in that stuff. <laughs> right. But like, um, you know, you've also got the very janky way that the pedestrians sort of walk by him but not by him it's like they're shot i would say that there's a couple of like layers there yeah there's no there's obviously some layers there and it's like you said that you think the steps are real but i'm not even sure that all those steps are real no no not all those i said the first three steps it's whatever he's right next to or or, or what he's standing on or what he's standing on and it 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 really took me out of it and it looked very flat there was no depth to it and it just looked it looked 60s no but it looked really bad no but you've also got to take into account this is 2002 yeah and uh and if there are issues with the uh with the burly brawl in the matrix reloaded and there are issues issues with the uh with the effects in van helsing yeah there are issues with the effects in the mummy returns yeah i think that you know when you have uh just a couple of shots in a movie right right like in jurassic park where it's cg right so they're putting all of their effort into that but when like a vfx fest like um van helsing so yeah uh, you know, there's going to be janky shots, right? right? So this is what this is what I was talking about also last week when we we're talking about Van Helsing. The so from 1993 to 2004, things just kept escalating. Yeah. Once you get into a movie like this, which is somewhat effects driven, but not as much as Van there's, Helsing. There are a lot of VFX, but there are not as many VFX shots. Right. That. And by the way, I'm I'm going to talk about some VFX shots that I think are. Uh, were very successful, and, yeah. and if you think about the technology at the time, are very impressive. Right. Um, but I, I think that a simple blue screen shot, yeah, is not something that you can really get away with. Like it, it, it like, like as in to ruin it at that it, right. at that point. Um, you know, so so that that's kind of where my problem is is the fact that it's a blue screen shot, and this is supposedly in two thousand two something that people are supposed to be very good at. You yeah. know, so it's like it was kind of odd. But to even me. today, blue screen or green screen is uh, can still look very, very janky. It can. I mean, if you look at something like, um, uh, well, okay, the opening of Spectre on the helicopter. You yeah. look at um, things like Black Panther, the fight at the end between uh, between Warmonger, Warmonger, is that his name? Fearmonger, Killmonger, Killmonger. It, it's a manga. Maybe Cook-a-manga? it's Fishmonger. <laughs> Kokobara. Um so yeah it's uh you know there's there's a lot of like blue screen stu- green screen stuff that uh, that doesn't look great um but then you look at you know the Mandalorian and what they've done with uh, virtual production with virtual production wow it's a, that's a, it's yeah. it completely changes the game yeah listen i think i think that it always comes down to the artists and the technical people behind it and you know what they're able to do in the compositing at the end of the day um but i'm just saying that like you know that there are there are shots in this movie that are you know Really good, and look the same thing about Van Helsing. You know, like and and any movie that we've yeah. watched. You know, there are going to be shots that are really good and shots that don't work. And look, you know, th- this is a movie that had several VFX houses working on this. ILM was one of them, but like, right. you know, there are there are There's several. There's Can B as well. Uh, yeah, there was Cine or something i've forgotten um but like i you know what i didn't write them down that sucks um or, or the vfx supervisor <laughs> because the, no i'll tell you why there were so many um vfx supervisors for different uh departments in different right. uh um places they were just like there wasn't like one or maybe there was and it's just not written there 
but like I couldn't find one person who was consistently mentioned in right. all the different places. But let's let's move on. Okay. Um. So what, some scenes that I really like are the um the greenhouse scene. Uh, the first time that he travels through time. Uh, you know, we sort of see the 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 pocket watch and then it sort of starts moving backwards and then it goes to right. black with the sound effect that's really cool uh but then you know the first time we see him move forward through time uh is this lovely motion controlled rig shot where the camera what they had was just you know him sitting in the time machine uh you know prop uh and they had lights all around him that they had to remove um, and they had, uh, you know, sort of like the greenhouse had to be put in, like all the plants, all the flowers, the, the window, one of the window yeah. had to be put in, uh, the vines climbing up the side of the window and the, and the snow coming up and going down. That's some hard shit in 2002 to do right. to make it look organic. And also they kind of make it look stop motiony, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, originally, uh, I thought it was stop motion back when uh but on closer inspection you can see it's uh i think it's, it's more it's to evoke the look of a time lapse it, it, it really works which is and, why it looks ev- everything there is cg include the cars the boxes that go in front of him yeah. the, the the mannequins the you know all the windows that go you know the, all the things moving around him uh were you know and and so they had to match move everything with that that it's why it's a motion controlled rig you know so right. that they can get a really you know good clean track um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I, I really like that shot. Um, traveling to the future. I really love the moon breaking up and, and all of those effects. I like, uh, I mean, it's a simple effect, but Vox is a cool effect, you know, that he's, um, he's got like a you know, motion he's got like a kind of, yeah, like a, like, um, uh, ghosting, like, you know, yeah. sort of like trails behind him when he moves, which is really cool. Uh, and, and not like a, a revolutionary effect, but it, it, it serves a purpose uh, yeah. to set him apart from, you know, the rest of the scene. And I think that's really cool. Um, also, the uh, the really fast traveling to the future when he gets knocked out and all of those rock formations are happening around right. him. That's all CG. Um, and they've got like, you know, sort of like complex, uh, you know, meshes that are sort of disintegrating. That's really cool. Um, the Uber Morlock disintegration is an effect that, if you judge it by today's standards, does not look great. Yeah. But there are some things going on there that are really technically cool. It reminds me a lot of uh, of Last Crusade. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, um, sorry. No, no, it's there's a layer on top where it, where it's it kind of morphing. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a that's a really cool effect. Yeah. I love it. I, I remember seeing something about it on um, uh, Corridor Crew. Right. They were talking VFX artists react. They talk about that shot. I want to watch it again now that we've discussed it. But the what they did with the Uber Moloch is they had Jeremy Irons on a a, a green screen. Um, they had they had his hands around you know guy and whatever. Um, and then they had like several great total recall moment. There yeah, they had to they had to up. like they had to uh, track the motion of the 3D model of him that they did to... I don't know why I'm doing this. It's, he's moving it's because like a he's moving. He's <laughs> moving like, like, you know, back and forth um, in the shot, like uh, on hanging. the green screen. He's hanging from, right. from wires as well, right? right. And they're, they're moving him back and forth. Um, and then what they had to do was match that motion. And they had several layers. They had like um, sinew and skin. And they had skin and, and like... Uh, muscles underneath and and bones and the bones disintegrating and uh you know having it decay and and the eyes fall back in the head so there were lots of different complex layers on top of that it, do- it doesn't look great again 
by today's standards, but uh, I think that the amount of work that went into that shot is pretty cool. So uh, that's um, that's uh, you know that's all I've got to say about that. And I, I do like the obviously the uh, VFX work on the the lights around the machine and, and all of that is pretty cool. There's a lot of uh, there's a uh, quite a few environment shots that uh, you see the uh, the big wide shot of New York City at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, um, and you also see the big wide shot of uh, I think it's supposed to mirror it of the cliffs. Yeah. Uh, when when he first goes into the future, um, and I uh, and I liken that to the sort of things that they were doing back in you know when back in that sort of time period, like for example Chicago as well. They did something like that. Like yeah. every time they had to do something set in the past, um, they always did those big Mac paintings. Yeah, um, and I just think that they're that they're absolutely gorgeous, and I would have a still of one on my wall if I could get one. Mac paintings are really cool. Yeah, well, you can make them digitally now and they they look good and you know whatever but like it's uh it's not something that's done so much um yeah so that's it for vfx attic and uh i'd burn the trousers that you're wearing why just because you've been sitting on the floor and as i said the substance oh oh god oh what is this shit just take it all off okay strip down johnny all right vfx attic very good (laughs) thank you Um, closing thoughts on the time machine 2002 here's the thing i feel that and this is what i've been thinking about recently is that in these podcasts i don't i don't know about you but i don't really say whether i would recommend the movie like i never recommend anything to anybody because i don't know what people are going to enjoy yeah and i think you know this is something that pogo was saying to me as well was you know it's kind of hard to put yourself if you haven't seen this movie you don't have the nostalgia factor it's hard to put yourself back then and sort of say this is of its time and this is that so um i would i would say um unless this podcast has kind of uh piqued your interest and you know whatever like i'd I'd give it a miss just because it's it's uh it's not i don't know if it'll appeal to people who didn't however however i would say that sometimes i watch a movie that i think oh my god that was a big pile of shit Mm. and then i watch the special features and I hear from the filmmakers what they were thinking, what they what they envisioned, what they were uh, intending to do with it, or they talk about um, layers underneath. Yeah, that but I not everyone's you. They're not all going to go back and listen. Yeah, to the, no, the, no, the that, that's fine. That's fine. But what I'm saying is that somebody may have seen this film in the past, thought it was shit, then listened to this podcast and might get an insight into it that might make them rethink it. Right, and uh, that's great. And if not, that's fine too. My thoughts on the film are that I I do still enjoy it. Um, not as much as I did when I was younger. And I think especially when we're doing what we do, which is, uh, to analyze, sort of analyze and pick it apart and whatever. Um, I have noticed, like, I think that also I now kind of look at VFX shots a little bit more closely and go, you know, with, with wide, creepy eyes, wide, creepy eyes, (laughs) like I'm doing to you now. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing strange motions or, or eyes at you. I don't, um... I, I, I don't have you an could, explanation. You could, be, uh, you could be doing anything you want. You could be, you know, stripping down and doing the... Oh, sorry. Don't be crass. <laughs> oh, don't be crass. <laughs> you can take that out if you want, if you think it'll bring down the, the level. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so that I don't know what my final thoughts are. No, I... I yeah. So I, I still enjoy it, but it's kind of gone down a level for me. Okay. That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> You're having so much trouble today, aren't you? <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble. 
What are I, your final thoughts? My final thoughts are that uh, I enjoy it. I, I don't... Here's the thing. I, I haven't seen it for a few years, but I watched it more than you did, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen it more recently than you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what the issues are. I knew what the issues were going in. So... I know that I find the the sort of practical suits of the Morlocks to be hokey. Uh, I think that Jeremy Irons is in it for way too short an amount of time to make any kind of impression. Um, and I think that there are certain holes in uh, in logic here and there and and, and whatnot. But um, it to me, I think it's a worthy update of the of the novel. Um, I, I read a review about it that, that somebody had written that it was a pointless remake, and I, I don't see that at all. I think it's uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It moves by very very briskly at an hour and thirty five minutes. Uh, I think it's um, it's exciting in certain places. Uh, I enjoy Guy Pearce's performance, and I like I too. most anything with time travel in it. Mm-hmm. I also think the prop the, of the time machine itself. That's apparently, it was nicely. very very expensive. There's a lot of glass in there, yeah. and you can see that it's real glass and not just plastic. It's really quality. It's really as a nice. Prop, yeah. I want that. Where are you going to put that? Where are you? Gonna no, store not a full that? size, but like it would be nice if there was a a sort of you know scaled down um, replica that one could put on a shelf. Mm. That would be very nice. But it's it's a really really sweet like uh, prop that I think is. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I what I know what I thought about. In the same way that John Carter influenced a lot of things like, uh, you know, Flash Gordon and then uh, Star Wars, etc., etc. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, when they made the movie John Carter, made it seem derivative, when really that's where it came from. Yeah. So I found it interesting that you're watching The Time Machine, a movie called The Time Machine, and it's it's a it's a static vehicle. It sits there in one place, and everything changes around it. Yeah. Whereas uh, for something like Back to the Future, um, and a, and a lot of other time travel movies like Bill and Ted, etc., etc., the uh, the time vehicle has to move. Yeah. And it has to propel That's through really time and space. Yeah. Um, and you might think that that might make the time machine pedestrian because of that, but the time machine came before all of that and it probably didn't occur to HG Wells uh, in 1895 before there were, you know, proper automobiles that used to move that, that, you know, that the time vehicle should, should move through time and space. Um, And I, and I think that, that what Simon Wells and co Gorvabinsky included probably um, were able to do with, uh, with that static time machine was really dynamic and really interesting. Um, and uh, I enjoy it. There's a, a lot. lot of visual interest in this movie, like right. you said. Um, yeah, but no, I, again, like, I'm just pulled out of it by a lot of uh, the plot um, things. But I, I really, I'm but, glad we did this one. It was a good one. Yeah, I, I think that also adding the, uh, as we talked about before, adding that sort of emotional tragedy um, yeah. that propels him forward is a lot more interesting than just. Ah, what I'm if? going out for a scientific discover- discovery right now. I'll make a time machine and uh, and let's a go. What if? What if? Um, okay, well, that brings us to the end of our discussion of the time machine. Uh, stay tuned for uh, a talk about uh, Scream 2022, which we went to see a few days ago. Um, so uh, if you have not seen the movie, you can turn us off now because we are going to talk spoilers. So if this is where you're leaving us, thank you very much for joining us. I've been and, Johnny uh, Gross. I've been Simon Gross. I was going to say I've been Simon Gross, but I haven't. And I've been Johnny Gross. Well, there you go. But not really. He's been him. And I've been him. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just realized what you said.
of what I said. I need a break. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay. You will pause the recording and I will go bathroom. And you... <laughs> Stay tuned Turn for Scream 5. You'll positively scream with delight at our special bonus conversation about the movie Scream. No, not that one. The new one. Confused? Always. <laughs> so welcome to our bonus chat about Scream 2022, or is it Scream 5, or is it 5 Cream? Uh... <laughs> are you, are you, are you going to be okay? <laughs> Continue. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> Spoilers abound. So, we went to see Scream 5 the other night. What did you think of it? So, in general, I actually really liked it. Um, I thought that it was very... It was really brutal, um, which was yeah. great. I'm, I'm really glad that they, they went a little bit further. Um there were some things that I felt were uh, a little odd. At the, uh, at the time, or is it fridge logic? It's, it's, I think it's fridge logic. I think it's things that I thought about afterwards. Right. Um, but, uh, so, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, first of all, uh, Skeet Ulrich. Ulrich? 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 Ulrich. It's no, Ulrich. I, I have no idea. Liechtenstein. <laughs> Liechtenstein. So he's like heavily CG youngered, as it were. I think like, or they they smushed about his face, like they blurred yeah, him. Something a lot. Like, something, something happened to him. Yeah, he looks a bit weird. Um, or and, he could have uh, just been old. Yeah, and, and looks different. And looks and... Weird. Yeah. So okay, fine. Um, but you know, well, it's a cool sort of like you know addition. I I do kind of think. The her where she ends up later on, uh, his daughter, is uh, is kind of cool that you know she kind of kills the killer with like a crazy psycho stabbing. Yeah, and then she wipes the yeah, which the is, knife. Is kind of, which I mean, I I hope they don't do another one. I hope that they sort of no, just leave I hope it they, at that. They but. originally decided. I I read an interview with uh, James Vanderbilt, the writer, um, and he said that they were not writing this movie or making this movie with an eye on a sequel. Because a lot of times that happens and then the movie doesn't do well, you know, Sinister Six, yeah. Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, things like that. Um, you know, so he uh, so he said that he, he just wanted to put everything that he could into this one screen movie. You've got the one chance to do it. How would you uh, really take advantage of the fact that you've been given that opportunity, yeah. pack as much into it as possible. You've got the legacy characters. You're going back to Woodsboro, um, you know, to give it, to give it that, uh, you know, the, as, as much of, as much as what he had as a writer as possible and not to think about doing a sequel. And I really hope, even though um, the, here's a bit of movie news for you um, this week, uh, scream, dethroned no way home yeah from the from number one at the box office and uh, and i think that's great i think that uh, it's good to see movies battling at the box office again because uh you know it's also good to see a movie like scream like you know taking taking sort of the lead yeah you know, like you don't normally see a lot of horror movies do that i i think did invisible man sort of have like a really warm reception i think um, it did I, I need to to double check on that uh it was definitely critically well received yeah um, but, it's a good movie. but like slasher movies specifically, 
Um, the the last slasher movie uh, that I saw was Halloween, uh, yeah. the remake in 2018. And then they brought out Halloween Kills this year, which was critically savaged. Um, so you don't really see a lot of slasher movies anymore. And the fact that they're going back to what reawakened the uh, the genre back in 1996 is uh, and the fact that it's so good as well and it's so well done yeah um, I had some issues with it just on on sort of like I have a thing that in the screen movies uh, I'm always looking uh, for certain things that indicate that there's two killers yeah uh, I'm looking to see which killer did what, right? right? So, you know, there's these uh, Zach Cherry uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, do you know who that is? No. So he's a, he's a guy who really analyzes the Scream movies. And if you're interested and you're still in the mood because we've just watched the movie, you should definitely check it out. But he does like a video on uh, who killed who in Scream 1, who killed who in Scream 2. And in Scream 1, he points something out that's really interesting mm-hmm. is that um, Stu kind of... Uh, always holds his hands above his head before he stabs someone. There are several kills in the movie, like the uh, the principal, and you know, the, uh, there's one where I think he attacks Sydney in the house. Um, you know that that's him, and he's able to point out, like you know, this one slashes and kills like this and this one kills like this and you can see it in how mm. he holds the the knife and in the second one mickey's left-handed uh there's even a deleted scene where they talk about uh, and there's also like when randy gets killed there's a there's lipstick on his hand like she's kissed his hand do you notice that no i didn't notice so that, that was debbie salt that uh, that killed randy yeah we know yeah it's but the funny thing is is that she had to use her left hand because mm. all of the killings were done with by someone who was left-handed and if she would have used her right hand then it would have given away that there were two killers so the issue i have with all this is that um from scream 4 on was from scream 4 and scream 5 you've got um you've got uh at least one of them is a petite um yeah exactly and they always use these big burly stuntmen. Exactly. So you can never really. I mean. And she, I think she says uh, the the girl says that she kills Dewey, right? And she Amber. says Amber um, that she kills Dewey, and it's like he's literally lifted up off the ground by these two knives, and I'm like, not that she couldn't, not that a girl couldn't do it, but right. that the stature of the person doing it, <clears throat> and obviously it's more imposing like that, but it. It oftentimes feels it was a in great the last kill. two movies, right? Dewey was a great kill, I think. It was a great yeah. kill. Um, and it's I can't pinpoint why, but it's an example of a legacy character dying that <clears throat> holds weight and is actually uh, it doesn't feel uh, you know like wasted. Wasted. So I was chatting with a with a guy on uh, on Facebook on uh, in the Empire group called Mike Common. Shout yeah. out if you listen to the podcast. I don't think you do, but anyway, hi. Um, he is the Scream fan. Mm. And um, and he pointed out that even though th- that my issue with the movie in general was that the killer reveal was very weak, yeah, and I thought that it was it was a little bit uh, disappointing to me that Dewey was killed by somebody who had no connection to anything. Yeah. So if you go through the the previous killers, Scream One to Four, you've got uh, at least one of the killers is personally connected to Sydney. Yeah. Right, so you've got Billy who's connected to Sydney. Stu is the tag along. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Debbie Salt who's connected to Billy, therefore connected to Sydney, and Mickey's the tag along. You've got uh, you've got Roman who's directly directly connected to Sydney as as uh, her brother, and uh, Jill is uh, is her cousin yeah. or niece. 
cousin, niece. niece. Cousin. Right. Cousin. And then you've got the other kid who I can't remember. I haven't seen Scream 4 in a long time, but he's the tag along. Yeah. Right. And in this case, they're both completely disconnected from everything. They're just fans. Apart from the fact that Amber lives in Stu's house. Yeah, but Amber living in Stu's house doesn't connect her to anything. It just means she moved into Stu's house. Mm. Um, and I feel that um, that that was a little bit disappointing. Also because, uh, you know, you've got Sam, who's uh, who's the quote-unquote final girl, who's connected directly to Billy. Um, and uh, I, I just thought, I was expecting perhaps for, the, for there to be a third killer. Mm. That that would be the twist. Do you know about the, uh, the ending of Scream 2 that never was? No. Uh, speaking of third killers, that when she walks away from the media circus at the end of the movie, um, and there's sort of like this shot that pulls back and you see the bell tower. Right. There was supposed to be a ghost face killer standing in the in the bell tower overlooking everything that would that sort of set up cool. the third one. Yeah. And it would be like the first time that, you know, the, the killer wasn't revealed or something. That would have been revealed in the next one. Um, yeah. And there was like a, an interesting thing that never was in the third movie. Uh, was that the um, it was supposed to be that everybody who was killed in the movie was part of some sort of uh, ghost faced cult hmm. and that all the people who had died uh, sort of get up and, and sort of, you know, reveal that they were all in on it and, you know, trying to get at her or something like that. I don't remember exactly. That would have been that. very, super, very creepy. Super creepy. And, yeah. and, and so like, you know, yeah, I, I would have, I would have liked it if there was a third killer or right. if the, you know, uh, Sam, Went nuts and started her own killing yeah, spree Yeah, like that at the yeah. end, if she would sort of have, you know, looked at the ghost face costume <clears> and sort of like there would have been a hint that maybe she's gone over the deep end. She right. liked stabbing, you know, right. what's his name? And that, that that sort of starts, that continues Billy's legacy. So I don't know, like it's... it's... So my comparison of, uh, of Dewey's death was, uh, was to Han Solo. Mm. Han Solo. Han. Um, was that I thought that um, the, his death was quite possibly the best death of a legacy character mm. that I've seen in recent years in that he it's emotionally charged. He's murdered by his own son mm-hmm. and that facilitates his, uh, his move over to the dark side. Mm-hmm. There are repercussions and consequences to his death yeah. and it echoes throughout the other two movies, whether you like them or not. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that there's also a really great payoff, no matter how much you may dislike Rise of Skywalker, anybody out there, but, um, but the fact is that that scene between, uh, between Harrison Ford and Adam Driver, um, on the top of the, uh, of the Star Destroyer, Star Destroyer, um, is really, really strong and really, uh, emotionally resonant. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sets him, it's a, it's sort of a full circle sets him on, on the path to, uh, to good. Um, so... And I think that Dewey's death, while it was very strong, um, and I really did feel the emotional resonance of it just because I liked Dewey, and yeah. also I liked the fact that... And, and the fact that he was on the cusp of reconciling with Gail, yeah. um, you know, it was very tragic. But at the same time, there was nothing behind it. It was just some kid who decided to go on a killing spree. And I, I love that idea of toxic fandom. Yeah. I think it's very meta, and I think it's great. Um, but I, I I needed, like, that little bit you extra. Needed, you needed, I needed one killer. I needed that soap opera connection. You needed one killer who was, you know, toxic fandom and all of that. And, you know, we wanted to the And, and the, the other killer and to be doing it for personal reasons. For, for yeah. some kind of, you know, because... All because of, it's about rage, isn't that's, it? Otherwise, this could be set anywhere. It doesn't have to be set in Woodsboro. Right. Right. The whole point of it being set in was- Woodsboro is that it has this this carnage in its history. It has, like, yeah. you know, all these connections to... Basically, it all starts with Maureen Prescott. Right. And, Bi- and Billy's mother. Right. 
Billy's father. Billy's father, yeah. That's a whole different movie. And, and Cotton um, Weary. And Cotton Weary. Um, so, and, and that was the thing that, uh, you know, the, the trailer for, um, for Death on the Nile came out uh, not so long ago. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I watched um, Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh version. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, I've seen the 70s version so many times. Um, and I wonder what makes this, what gives this movie legs? Yeah. Why is it that I can watch a remake and still be completely enthralled? And even though I know the killer reveal, um, or killers reveal. Yeah. Um, and, and I think here there was no mystery to piece together. Yeah. And that's what, that's what buggered it for me slightly. I, th- I think me too. I, think I enjoyed the, the movie, but that was, that was my issue. That's part of what bugs me about the whole, you know, who killed who thing. Like right. you're trying to figure out who it was and, um, and and it's like it's hard to do that when when there's no real indication of the why is right. Things. The motive was very weak. Yeah. Um. And that and but the thing is that what I was saying to uh, to Mike Common on the uh, on the Empire Group was that the um, the killer reveal is only good for one viewing. Yeah. And he said to me, No, it's not because if you look at Amber, Amber's wearing the ghost face boots when she's in the uh, when she's by the fridge in the basement um, in the uh. garage. Um, you know, you can see that she's got bruises on her, um, mm. you know, early on in the movie. And there are little hints here and there that that, that, revo- that rewards uh, sort of repeat viewings. And uh, and I, I agree with that. And I'd like to go back and, and watch it again. I really want to see what Zach Cherry puts out about this movie. Because right. I'm, I'm interested to see his analysis. And because he, he's really he he watches them really with a very critical eye. And he right. you know, it's, um But yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. So let's talk a little bit about the meta um aspects of it first of all the title is very much meta because yeah. you know when they came back and they they made halloween instead of calling it halloween 9 or 10 or whatever it is 25 you know or or halloween the return or halloween yeah. the reboot whatever it is they just called it halloween so yeah. and that that was the joke was that you know each stab movie goes up in number and then when they get to stab 8 it's just called stab yeah uh, and it's a reboot and it's directed by Ryan Johnson i just thought that that was really hilarious yeah. and the fact that they then titled the movie as a troll, a trolling of the audience, I just yeah. thought was really cool. I really love the 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 news anchors who are like going stab. Why are they calling it stab? It should be stab eight, <laughs> right? Um, like in the movie, it's really and the, and there are little like self referential things about. Um, you remember in Scream Two when uh, you know there are new pictures of uh, Courtney Cox on the internet? She said it was just my head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body. Yeah. So there's another one of those where uh, where they're talking. Uh, on the news about um, about Courtney Cox's bangs or something like that. Mm. I, I vaguely remember while I was watching the movie, but it's been talked about a lot online. Um, and and that's the, the bangs that she had in Scream 3. And yeah. uh, that's been talked about a lot. And I just think it's a, that's a great little reference there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I love the idea of toxic fandom. And I, I you know, it's uh, it's very timely. It's a, it's a very timely uh, uh, motive. It just wasn't as strong as yeah. the sort of personal connection was I, again it would have been great if it was supplemental to the uh to the sort of personal yeah. connection uh but you know i i enjoyed it i would have given it um you know one and three quarters thumbs up right because apart from that it was oh so that yeah that's really a continuing creepy. on from our mini so that was my half that was what i took off my half for mm-hmm. um um i think that 
in general, in terms of jump scares and, and slasher movies being scary, slasher movies never never really scared me. They're not particularly frightening. Um, so that, to me, is never a... Is never a well, movie. I don't know if you noticed, but during Dewey's death, I was squirming around in my seat quite oh, a really? lot. Yeah, because, mm. because it's a legacy character that I really like, and I knew from the moment that the doors closed that he was going to bite it. Right. But, like, so it was, it was obvious, a very yeah. brutal death. Um, and uh, and it just like it made me like squirm about a lot. I don't know yeah, why. there was a few um, of them. It, it was and, and I appreciated the fact that they went eighteen with it. Yeah, yeah, and also you know there was Wes's death that was you know he spent so much time. Wes you know, being like, a reference to Wes Craven yeah. as well, like a yeah, uh, sort of like opening fridge doors and the music would go up. Yeah, and that's he'd a... close it, and then there's no one standing behind it. That's another and, example of trolling the audience. Yeah, yeah, it was it was they did that like four times in that sequence. Um, and then, and then, you know, he goes and closes the front door and the ghost face killer standing behind him. Like that's, right, yeah. it, it was very, uh, it was very yeah. cool to me. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was that I like the fact that the legacy characters had as much to do as they did yeah. and that they were in it for most of the uh, second half of the movie. Yeah. Um, I thought the callbacks were well executed and I'm glad that they, when they were in uh, Stu's house, there were no flashbacks. I there were really no echoey love, callbacks. I really love like, the echoey reveal. voices. I love the reveal of how we, we find out it's yeah, Stu's house that yeah, the yeah. camera suddenly pulls out, yeah. goes backwards, yeah, and and we see like you know, so it, it's so well revealed, you know, yeah. Sorry, and also it's so it's so well revealed, yeah. And also, you can't have a scream finale without Sydney shouting "fuck you" every five seconds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, in general, I, I thought it was a it was a lot of fun. I would watch it again, and uh, I'm definitely looking out for that. I will, five, Mister. Yeah, I'm definitely looking out for that five movie 4K box set. There it is. Five cream. Yeah, <laughs> five cream. That, that got me. <laughs> well, so there it is. That was our screen discussion. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. We will see you next time when we talk about a film. Yes, on What's Our Seat Number. Goodbye. Bye-bye. What's our seat number? 